I'm Sharon Shelton-Thompson, a co-founder of The Working Parent Company. This podcast series is designed to help and resource working parents throughout COVID-19 and beyond. We believe working parents are remarkable. You can head over to our website, theworkingparentcompany.co.uk, where there's lots more resources available at this time. Or follow us on LinkedIn, The Working Parent Company, for lots of daily updates. This episode is dedicated to the ups and downs of homeschooling. What is it that we really need to focus on with our children? And what is it, if anything, that we can leave behind? I'm delighted today to be welcoming Ed Richardson. Ed is one of our expert speakers here at the Working Parent Company and for many years has run seminars and webinars and clinics for our clients with rave reviews. There is nothing about the English education system that Ed doesn't know. He's an educational enthusiast and he's also Director of Education at Keystone Tutors. And there he is dedicated to improving the quality and learning provided by their tutors. He's passionate about how children learn and how to apply this knowledge to meet the needs of students of all abilities. We're in really safe hands when it comes to talking about homeschooling. So today we're welcoming Ed Richardson from Keystone Tutors. And Ed, I've just given our listeners an intro into who you are and what you do. And feeling incredibly lucky that we can invite you onto our podcast because I really don't think there's anything about the English education system that you don't know. Uh, so welcome, welcome this morning to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Um, one, of the, one of the things, I'm going to dive straight in because I think the question that is on my mind and certainly on the minds of the clients that I'm speaking to day in, day out, is around homeschooling and what is it that we really need to focus on and what can we let go of? And I say this because our clients are working parents, so they are continuing to work at the moment, some of them incredibly busy, many of them doing a sort of parent tag shift if they're in a relationship and have a partner at home about who gets to work and who gets to look after the kids. And a lot of them run ragged. And we're now, what, sort of nine, 10 weeks into lockdown, something like that. So there's a multitude of concerns, really, that we're, we're hearing. And what it comes down to is how on earth do I fit all this in? You know, so, so if you could start by really helping our listeners with where should our focus be and what can we let go of, that would be amazing. OK, well, it's quite a big question, but I'll try my best. Um, in terms of what you can jettison, I think that is sort of age dependent because it depends on where your child or children are in relation to um, the school curriculum and whether or not they've got exams kind of impending. I guess impending exam years might be year five, looking forward to, to SATs next year, uh, year 10, looking forward to GCSEs, etc. year 12. But if, if you're not in those years, I, I think then your curriculum isn't sort of, or your focus perhaps, uh, might not be as sharp because the the kind of subject canon that you've chosen or that you know that's uh, relevant to those exams is probably going to already be laid out if you're in the years I've just mentioned. But if you're if you're kind of years one to four or seven to nine, uh, where you're you're kind of in the periods between kind of key examination uh, moments, then I think that's a really interesting time because ultimately there isn't a, a, a focus point looming. And, and I do think then it is possible just to think in a slightly more 
uh, specific way about what's relevant and important during the, the here and now. And obviously in most cases, if you look at the primary phase, English and maths, numeracy, literacy, they're going to be absolutely essential. And so rather than worrying about five, six, seven, eight subjects and how do we fit all this in together, it might just be simply looking at you know, one or, or both of those. I do think if you're years one to four, you know, a little bit of English and maths every day is going to be pretty essential um, to keeping you kind of match fit, as it were, to keeping you sort of um, ready and practiced and supple with the subject. But worrying about other aspects of, of school, school life, um, you know, potentially um, can be sort of less uh, of an importance or a draw. Of course, this is all relevant to your child and, and what their favourite subject is. I love asking kids um, what their favourite subject is. And yeah, some will say English and some will say maths, but of course others might say science and drama and other things. So I would be trying to focus in on what a child needs. And I definitely think there's obviously an English and a maths component, particularly for the years I've mentioned, one to four, seven to nine, reception, obviously that English component is going to be very important as well. On top of that, only kind of perhaps including those subjects they really love doing. And why? Because I think that allows them to keep a love of learning. You know, this is a really strange time for them as much as it is for you. And, and if we turn them off learning, that could be quite problematic for us um, in terms of reintegrating back into school, normal life, whatever normal will be. The new normal is going to be intriguing, I think, uh, in schools anyway. So I definitely think there is a, a, a reductive approach that can be taken for sure. And I think it revolves around a couple of things, their age, uh, albeit that I think English, English and maths are going to be pretty essential. And then also their interests, because you'd want to help them explore those, because that's what learning is. Just one thing I think I, I hammer on about in my talks um, that I do for the parent companies uh, is reading. I think at any age, there's really no substitute for it. I assess a huge number of students every year. And I would say those who are more advanced invariably the ones that are reading. But I encounter so much reading snobbery. <laughs> it's yeah. sort of unbelievable. And it's therefore no wonder, I think, that a lot of children don't read. And that's because we associate reading with learned tomes, Victorian literature, you know, The Secret Garden, Charles Dickens, Shakespeare, you know, all of that element. And actually, of course, reading, we're doing all the day, you know, on our phones, on computers, etc. Uh, and newspapers, articles. It's not just sort of learned tomes, as I said. So I think with children, the more you can encourage them to read, even small moments of time can be incredibly impactful because they may have learned a new word or new words in context. The skills that you learn from reading, like literal comprehension, inference, being able to duct, read between the lines, infer meaning from text is crucial in everything we do in life whether that's professional life within your education um, you're going to need to do that so I, I my top tips for that definitely are even if you don't have a huge amount of time I think um, reading with your children is crucial getting them to read aloud reading aloud to them encouraging things like audiobooks a lot of parents have this fixation on on children must be reading themselves independently that, that doesn't necessarily need to happen uh, of course, there's a slight difference in how you receive information if you're reading it yourself versus listening it. I think a balance of text and so non-fiction fiction, I think that's going to be really important. I think just always being encouraging and discussing what they're reading. One of the best tips for somebody who's got a reluctant reader in their household is to read whatever they're reading with them. And I ask parents always when they say, my child doesn't read, my first question to them is, do you read? 
in front of them. Because of course your children model, you are the model of behavior and, and they tend to copy you, particularly the younger they go. But I think there's really no substitute for, uh, for reading because it just unlocks the, the world really. I mean, Tony Little, he's the former headmaster of Eton, has this great quote and I'm gonna misquote him now, but I think it's something like with confidence in reading uh, the written word, the world becomes a map of possibilities and adventure. I think that's, that's it. And I, I think that's so true. Um, so I, I would say there are things you can jettison. I think English and maths are obviously going to be crucial. In particular within English, I think reading is really important. And I, and I also think, therefore, you don't need loads of time. You know, actually just having a concentrated reading period for half an hour, maybe setting that within your household, saying everyone's going to read. Uh, 15 minutes, 30 minutes. It means that there's no excuses. I can't say, oh, well, my brother's doing this. Why do I, why can't I do that? Or, you know, dad's able to be outside. Why can't I join him out there? I think if everyone sits down and reads, I think modeling that good behavior, I think is a, is a, is a really good thing. So in terms of what you can jettison, I, I would say uh, those sorts of factors need to be taken into consideration. Yeah, I get it. And, and yeah, you know, I'm thinking of, as always, of my own, children when I'm listening to you and I've got one avid reader and one reluctant reader and mm. with our reluctant reader we have just let him read you know whatever basically so articles he get the week junior it's fantastic so, you know you could never sit and read it all but with some encouragement if I read it with him those articles then then he will read so mm. just finding the the you know the bits that I can engage him in, and I also love what you said what you said about keeping a love of learning if that's possible. Mm. You know, just as a focus, if we're able to keep a love of learning rather than switch them off completely. And um, I think that's why you need to prioritise. You know, yeah. because because if you're saying, well, look, I need to do everything the school is telling me. Of course, many schools for for families will be helping, hopefully, and they will be communicating with families. But of course, they don't understand necessarily what your home environment is like. They perhaps have a little bit of a knowledge about you as parents and, and the kinds of uh, routine you might have. But, but they perhaps don't really know that in detail. And of course, I think, you know, the context of the home environment, the work environment, them, those meeting together uh, it, it, inside your four walls, there is going to be a need to sort of plan and prioritise and, and get a balance uh, within that to make it work. And of course, that's going to be unique to every household. So... I think schools, it, it, in all the kind of conversations I've been having with teachers and parents over the last sort of eight weeks, they are flexible um, and, and they will work with families. And I, and I think I would encourage parents to be talking to schools as well, because I think if you can only prioritise two or three things, that's fine out of a list of 10, because let's do those two or three things really well. Hopefully the student is going to enjoy what they're doing in those two or three things. But if you were to go for seven, eight, nine, ten. You know, it would be like pulling teeth and eventually you're going to you're going to kind of destroy slightly this this sort of love of learning potentially. So I think prioritizing and balance, I think, is going to be crucial and it's unique to the situation that each parent finds himself in. It's so true. I think, you know, never before I've been struck, struck by how individual this is and how everybody is is navigating this new territory as, you know, according to their family makeup. And, and that's different mm. for everybody. Um, and the other thing, I know you're a big fan of the Pomodoro technique. Um, mm. So I wonder if you could say something about that, because that, you know, it doesn't have to be huge swathes of time, I think is really oh, no. to working parents as well. Yeah, absolutely. And this is the thing, 
again related to the talks I give you know a lot can be achieved uh, in in a very small space of time is the first thing and the second thing is you don't need a PhD a teaching qualification to help your child you just need to to have an interest in it and an interest that's more than the veneer it's it's you know those stock questions you often ask children after school you know how is your did you have a good day today at school? That is a closed question. There's two answers, yes or no. Now, if I say no as a child, what's going to happen? Another question is going to be asked. And then my, my parent is going to probe. And that's not what I want, because if I had a bad day, I don't want loads of questions about that. So I think it's trying to ask more sort of open questions. So thinking more strategically about the time that you've got. The Pomodoro technique is about thinking about the time that you're dedicating to a particular task. And it's a really interesting and actually very simple technique, really. And it, all it basically states is that you, you try and do something for 25 minutes and you, you focus on that task exclusively. And what you do after 25 minutes, you set yourself a timer so it rings at 25 minutes and you ask yourself, well, where am I in this task? Have I completed it? Am I halfway through it? Am I bored to the teeth of doing this? You know, where am I with regards to the, 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 the task? And then after the 25 minutes, you must have a break. So you, you must go and do something different. It may be the case then you come back to the task that you were doing, uh, but it also may be the case you move on to something else. And what it kind of encourages you to do is it encourages you to sort of think about time management, think about how long certain things take. And of course, one of the things I would say as a teacher is very few students can concentrate in a kind of really directed, focused amount for more than about 20 minutes. So actually from the perspective of, of, of students and learning, and I would argue adults are exactly the same, I know I am, yeah. um, uh, 25 minutes is plenty of time before just standing up for a couple of minutes, going and getting a drink, just literally having a wander around the garden, if that's a possibility, you know, in, in today's world. Those kinds of things, just having a, a, a very small break to refresh the mind before potentially going back to that task or maybe going to a different task. And if you think about it, school is, is not dissimilar. We have focused bursts of lessons in theory learning, you know, punctuated by breaks. Yeah. I guess what I would say in the context of a household where everything's a little bit closer, there's perhaps less opportunity for release, you know, of, of pressure, maybe. I think the Pomodoro technique could work really well because 25 minutes is a, is a really good amount of time. And then maybe you could have two, three, four of these across the day where you really focus in for that 25 minutes. You really try to get them to engage with whatever it is they're being required to do or you're asking them to do. Um, and then, and, and then making sure that they're punctuated with good amounts of breaks in, in there. Yeah, thanks, Ed. <clears throat> really helpful. Now, here in, in my family, we're all sort of long in for half term, which comes at the end of this week. And part of that long in is just that we're all tired. You know, it's, it's exhausting, you know, as a working parent, sort of juggling all these balls at the moment. So it's a relief next week that we can at least lay down the homeschooling baton. And there's loads of great ideas in what you're saying, but what about the mental health aspect? Say your child just doesn't want to learn or read, or that we as parents are just simply exhausted and haven't got the headspace or emotional regulation required to be alongside our children. How do we navigate those times? Is it important to sort of meet our kids and where they're at and um, where we're at too? What really helps when we're running out of steam? I have a quite a big interest in, in, in educational research. And I think one of the aspects of my own research that I looked at was pupil voice and, and giving children more responsibility, whatever their age, and asking them for their own opinion. 
yeah. in context in schools it's often used with the appointment of staff uh, could also be used with kind of how a school might evolve but in the context of a home i think it equally works and so i definitely think it's about meeting your children halfway i definitely think it's about trying to have a conversation with them about remote learning you know about being educated at home you know what makes an effective uh, home learner you know, if you asked the child that and you gave it was a it was a proper conversation where you were giving the appropriate amount of time and concentration and focus to it and, and you were asking them to do the same you you might be able to achieve a, a kind of a set of standards of how you guys can work together and also it might bring them into uh your world you know what are your expectations you know of yourself but also what are the expectations of your workplace of you and actually mummy and daddy or, or the adults in your life, you are interested in what they do. And you'd be surprised. I have the great privilege of talking to many children and you ask them about the significant adults in their lives and they can tell you all about them. You know, they, they, they can tell you what they do and you know, the name of the companies they work for and they are interested whether or not they show that explicitly, you know, they're, they're attuned, the senses are alive. And actually, if given the opportunity, they probably could tell somebody else quite a bit about what it is you do. So I think I think it's about meeting them halfway. You've got a job to do as a working parent. You, you've got deadlines and commitments to meet on, on your professional side. You also got commitments to meet on a on a parental side. They, as a learner within the context of a school, have got commitments and things to meet in that light. And they've also got commitments to meet of being your daughter or your son, of being a part of your family unit. So. And I think actually uh, what, what the research says is that uh, children, even as young as sort of five, six, seven, you know, if you give them responsibility and you talk to them about the kind of parameters in which you're operating in, it can help them to take ownership. It encourages them to take greater responsibility and develop their ability to work independently, for example. And that's ultimately what we're asking in the home environment, isn't it? If you're not going to teach them, we're asking them to be slightly more independent, to, to listen, to read, to absorb the information that perhaps being being shared by school, either through you or directly from school, and then to action it. And I think that skill, working independently, which of course you as a parent demonstrate all the time, is, is I would say, one of the core skills of education. You know, at the end of you know, those years, when you're 18 years old, you're going to university, or you're going on to, to the next phase in your, your life, you need to be able to operate as an independent you know, human being. And these are skills that we're learning as young as, you know, right at the beginning of our school career. So I think, I think trying to meet them halfway, have a conversation with them about it, but also try to listen and appreciate to how difficult it is for them. Yeah, you know, yeah. A lot of children at the moment that I'm speaking to are struggling because they're not being able to kick around a football in the, in the playground with their mates. And they're not being able to just have those kind of ridiculously funny conversations that you have at break time, which are pretty inane and about nothing. But to them, it's just wonderful. It's, it's the kind of, it's the joy of being a child. They don't get that interaction, although they may be corresponding online or, or, or by message. It, it's not the same. So I think trying to meet them halfway in terms of how difficult lockdown might be for them, because obviously what we see in the press, et cetera, is lockdown is very, very difficult for parents, which is true. But I think it's also very difficult for children um, because they feed off their learning experience is much bigger than the books and the lessons that they attend. In fact, I would argue that in break times, often a great deal more learning is done uh, in, in some contexts in their lives. 
So I, th I think you can help them by meeting them halfway to have a conversation. I think the other things you can help them with are just your kind of organisation and, and, and as a parent, you know, what you bring in your, from your professional lives, you know, managing distractions. Mm. You know, if I'm 14 and I've got a mobile phone and I'm not able to go to school, I'm missing my friends and I've, and I've got the, the, the delight of WhatsApp, you know, am I going to be able to stick my phone away and have that 25 minutes Pomodoro focused, you know, run at my English essay that I need to do? Or, or whatever it is I'm, I'm trying to focus on. So I think you can help them and bring, how do you manage time as, as, as a parent? You probably do it wonderfully well. And as a consequence, what are your techniques, tips, tricks for ensuring that you get things done at the end of every day? And, and they'll be, do you write lists? You know, do you ha use an app? Do, do you leave things out on the side to remind you visually of cues, right? I've got to get that done. What, what is it that you do? You'll all have, I guess, your mechanisms and, 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 and techniques for dealing with these things, which your that's children great. learn. Yeah, that's a great idea. And to be honest, I'm, I'm feeling pretty rubbish because I haven't thought of that. I thought about speaking to, to my children and asking them where they're at, but it hadn't occurred to me to have a conversation about how mum or how dad organises their day and what's tricky about that and what's easy about that. So, so that's really, really helpful. And I love what you say in there about um, pupil voice, you know, and, and really listening to that. And hearing you there, Ed, it, it makes me think about some of the things that my kids are missing at the moment. You know, you talk about mm. the playground and the sort of crazy conversations and the, the, you know, the huge fun that they have as well with their mates at school. But also they're, they're missing the collaboration aspects of the classroom, you know, because mm. that's where... You know, my daughter is quite shy, and so perhaps she wouldn't speak up in, in a classroom, but she mm. is still listening to others' questions and answers. And, and same for my little boy. And, and it's that sort of classroom, you know, collaboration. If your school is providing, you know, learning platforms that haven't got FaceTime, I think that's really being missed. And, and I wondered if you had any thoughts about that, the fact that they're really working in a bit of a vacuum at the moment. This is an issue because I think the, the solution I've got or I've heard of does require a little bit more time of parents. And I'm conscious that some of your parents may not have huge amounts of time. Yeah. Um, but I definitely think that you as parents can take some of the action into your own hands with regards to this. You know, you undoubtedly will be friends with, with other, with, with your children's peers, uh, parents. Um, you, you probably will, will have contacts and connections through that. Or maybe if, if you're new to a school or new to a place and you don't, maybe you could go through the school to, to perhaps be introduced to more of the network work and most schools will have sort of parent networks or forums uh, in, in which you know like-minded parents can get together and chat and it may be the case that the discussion is mostly around you know difficulties they might be having but in these times I also think there can be great positivity that's coming out of it so sharing ideas for particular approaches to things but also I think trying to come together to, to organize events. Now, Ed, I wouldn't know this term unless I knew you, but um, the learning loss is something that's often um, talked about. And, and as I understand it, it's that it's the loss that's often um, seen by teachers over things like the long school holidays and stuff like that. At the moment with COVID-19 and homeschooling, etc., I just wonder if we can talk about the learning loss a little bit and reassure, or is there anything to reassure parents, particularly maybe of the parents that have kids in those essential years that you talked about, years five, six, 10 and 12, and uh, curriculum recovery and things like that. So, so what do we know about what is lost in learning? 
when or do we know anything you know from past um lockdowns with SARS and things like that um anything that you can tell us around the learning loss there have been lots of interesting studies and i think without wanting to pick out too many in in particular only because i think there is quite a bit of a variance in terms of uh what studies have shown but there's a sense that obviously in the summer holidays typically there's a six-week gap between the end of the summer term of one year and the commencement of of the new academic year and that's a, a long time and i guess the way i have explained this to parents often is if you imagine having usain bolt as a, an olympic 100 meter runner in order to run as quick as he does he can't just turn up to the track and run. He needs to train. And he needs to train often, you know, they say when he won the first uh, Olympic gold medal for the 100 metres, it was sort of six, eight years worth of training that had gone into sort of that medal, as it were. And so our brains are not dissimilar <laughs> in the sense that there are a muscle and they need to be sort of worked, as it were, if you think about that sort of muscle working element and constant practice on a day-to-day -day basis or content usage is probably a better way of thinking about it, helps them to, to do the job they do and, and means that they are sort of more supple and adaptable to, to, to the kind of myriad of learning experience that we have in schools, life, home, etc. Now, over this six-week period, because the brain isn't perhaps being used in certain ways, which it is within the context of school terms, so it's not focused necessarily directly towards English or maths or in a kind of direct academic way, there is this sense that when children come back in September, if you were to measure their kind of attainment before they leave school and then when they return, there is often a delta between those two grades or two, two pieces of attainment between 15 and 30 percent in terms of difference. And that the suggestion there is that that is because you're not using the brain in, in the right ways or in the ways in which school requires of you. And as a consequence, these achievement scores decline over the summer from, as I said, the end of one academic year moving into another. And in some instances, it can be, as I said, you know, if you think about that in time rather than percentage, in some instances, it could be kind of, you know, about a month or so uh, of learning is lost um, because it takes them a month or so to kind of get back up to sort of full speed, you know, yeah. when they come into, in, in, into school. So it's this idea that this could be exacerbated because of the fact they're not in school currently. Um, the provision of learning varies hugely. We've got synchronous live learning that's occurring in some schools via Teams, Zoom, etc. Uh, all the way through to asynchronous learning, which is ultimately independent learning where schools are setting work and then children are just having to get through that work on their own. Yeah. And then they send it back to the school. And as a consequence, the concern is, is that because they're not getting the same sort of interaction they'd normally get within the school network uh, and in a school day, that learning loss over uh, the normal period of six weeks could be exacerbated because learning loss may be occurring now, i.e. the learning loss sort of start date is being brought forward for a longer period of time. Children are kind of losing information. And that is because they're not using their brain, utilising or uh, sort of actively manipulating the information in the same way they would be were they at school. So that, that's the concern is, is, yeah. is there, and I do think it's real. One thing I would say is 
this research is often they look at lower socioeconomic backgrounds you'll have heard a lot of news around that because mm. they often don't have um, access to ed tech um, to the kinds of mediums through which a lot of learning is now taking place so that's exacerbated they also rely on a lot of one-to-one -one support within the context of schools and so if you take away that one-to-one -one support but you're then asking the child to work on their own still yeah. You know, that's going to massively affect the kind of leaps and bounds they might make in their learning experience over this period of time. So the question then is, is how do you try to stop that? Or at least how do you try to minimise that? I, I think that is a, is a question that's a very difficult one for, for me to answer in, in, in minutes. But, but in a kind of very brief point, I would say that I think a lot of it is going to come down to making sure that you are trying to do as many uh, sort of learning experiences with your child as possible over this period of time uh, and doing that daily I think is a really important little and often as I as we mm. talked about with the Pomodoro technique is so so valuable and the one thing I would say about that is that learning the one great thing I think to come out of this in if I, I was asked to write an article on the positives of the COVID experience and learning from home remotely on, on children. And I do think what it, what it hopefully will get them to think about is that learning doesn't just occur within the context of a school. Learning occurs in a great many places and the learning environment is a very broad term. And so you can be learning numeracy whilst helping your parents to cook at home. You can be learning literacy whilst reading for pleasure outside of school. You could be learning about science whilst planting vegetables in your back garden. Mm. You can be doing a lot of learning in you know, drama. You can be watching some of those free West End productions that are on, on at the moment. You are learning about plays, organisation of plays, acting, etc. through just even watching that. So I think what I would encourage families is worry less about the sort of big articles that sweep through the media yeah. about learning loss. I would say, what can you do with the little time that you have to encourage learning experiences and as i said learning experiences encompass a great many things and that doesn't mean necessarily sitting down and practicing adding fractions of course that is going to help in many ways so trying to bring school work in in a drip in a drip fed manner over the course of the summer holidays i think would be a good thing so that they're not kind of doing no work at the end from the end of the summer term to the beginning of the winter term and i think if you do that i generally think children can start to appreciate that learning takes place everywhere and this notion of learning for learning's sake this idea that learning can happen everywhere and we enjoy learning like learning new things learning how to do new things mm. it is a really special part of being human i think i like that and i think that little and often brings me full circle to what you said at the beginning about um keep a love of learning Little and often, I think, is, is the thing that, that we can take away for, from that for all age groups, wherever they're at. And the, that learning is everywhere in the day to day, not just mm. in you know, the schoolwork that's set, etc. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap up with a question that we're, we're asking all our guests on the podcast, which is, um, what are you most hoping for in the sort of post-COVID-19 world? Well, I think, as you might imagine, mine is kind of more educationally focused than I imagine some of your speakers might might be. I, I hope that schools grab this opportunity. I think the opportunity is one of the biggest educational experiments known you know, on the face of the planet. We've, yeah. we've, children have gone home. 
and and we we as educators have been trying to work with them over this period of time and i use two words synchronous and asynchronous and obviously the range and variety of synchronous and asynchronous opportunities has varied hugely and i think this is a really interesting discussion and debate in schools most learning takes place in a synchronous fashion but is there a place for asynchronous learning so might schools create more of a blend between live and more independent learning because there's a huge benefit as i'm sure you'll remember and know on a daily basis learning something for yourself yeah independently of a, of a teacher or a, or, a, or a guide um can be incredibly satisfying um, but trying to get that blend because you might get stuck and you might need some additional help so that live element you know, can work really well so i i think there's a massive opportunity in terms of what we what we can learn from this but i think there'll be some time going forward but potentially potentially around the synchronous asynchronous element of learning but the other point i i think what am i most hoping for is a rather melancholy one i, I really hope that the world values the classroom after this because i feel particularly in the uk um and maybe it's just my own perception and perspective but i just feel that sometimes the teacher the classroom and the school there's been a sort of devaluing i think of the importance of of, of what goes on and what those people do and it's not that they're more important than any other sort of societal or industrial elements uh, you know to, to what makes up the uk and, and, and indeed other countries but i just think a, a greater appreciation for the value of the classroom for the value of the teacher and 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 for what schools do because i do feel that over time um, often that's been eroded and I think perhaps we've had less respect for that than, than, than maybe we should have and as a consequence I, I hope that both students, importantly students, but also parents see that there is great value in schools and, and, and that schools see there's great value in having children in their schools <laughs> and, and I, think, I think that would be my key hope. Yeah that's, well, that's a great one to have and I know I know my own children and, and so many children of, of my clients are really missing the classroom at the moment, you know, missing their friends, missing the interaction, missing being at school. So valuing the classroom is a great way, I think, to, to end and bring it to a close and say thank you. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for sharing all of your experience and, and knowledge about the UK education system for our listeners. It's a it's a challenging time when it comes to being a working parent and homeschooling. And you've, you've given us some great tips and um, uh, thoughts to reflect on around what, 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 is, what is important and what we can jettison and finding education in there every day. So Ed, I want to say a huge thank you. I know that obviously you do lots of work with us at the Working Parent Company. You do amazing talks and webinars and and um, clinics, et cetera, for our clients. But I also want to signpost um, where people can find you. So do you want to say something about Keystone Tutors? Sure. Keystone Tutors is a tutoring and educational advisory company. Um, so we provide one-to-one -one learning in a tutoring capacity online, obviously, at the moment, uh, but also in homes um, in London. We have a, an office in London and most face-to-face -face tutoring takes place in within zones one and two in, in a normal world, obviously. Um, uh, but we, we educate children all over the country uh, online and it works uh, phenomenally well. We do about 60 to 70 percent of, of our teaching online now. And then we also have a presence around the world. So we have uh, offices in Singapore and Hong Kong 
Uh, and we educate children from South America all the way through to Japan and, and, and in between. So, and we work with them on uh, a range of different things. Often it might be preparing for national examinations like GCSEs, IGCSEs, A-levels, etc. But equally, it could be working towards entrance into independent schools at 11 plus, 13 plus, uh, 7 plus, 8 plus, 16 plus. Um, or it could just be for someone who perhaps is uh, struggling at school and, and, and you know, is, is, is finding math difficult or something and wants a little bit of a confidence boost or may find learning slightly more challenging. Um, and so one-to-one -one learning in that, concept, in that context can help a great deal. We're very school facing. We want to work with schools. We, we really see the value in a place for tutoring alongside normal formal schooling. Um, so where we can, we, we want to engage with a child's school and, and, and listen to what the teachers are having to say and then trying to action uh, those comments as best as possible. And then on the other side of the business, we offer university and schools advice and also just educational troubleshooting. We, we homeschool um, about five uh, students face-to-face uh, -face in our office um, and then uh, many more students online. So we, we, we tackle a range of educational problems from you know, where should I be going to university, what schools should I be looking at, all the way through to you know, perhaps school isn't for me at the moment or you know, I can't be in school for, for a range of different reasons but I still want to maintain my, my schooling. You know, how is that possible? Amazing. So I'd really, really encourage any listeners that um, are needing some tutoring with their kids at the moment or have children that are struggling or children that are facing challenges um, to, to find Keystone Tutors and look up Ed Richardson. Ed, thank you so much. Have a wonderful day and thank you for joining us. Thank you very much.